transformation. That's been our theme, and really it comes out of um, discipleship, where in Mark chapter 1, verse 17, he says to the disciples, uh, he says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men, that we need to have a personal choice. It begins with a personal choice where we choose to obey and honor God, then God transforms and changes our lives. I will make you, and then he sends us on mission to become fishers of men. And so this year, we're really looking at this idea of transformation. We want to see that as we continue to follow Jesus Christ in obedience to his word, uh, that God promises that he's going to complete this work or continue this work of spiritual transformation, that he's going to change us in ways that we could never change ourselves. It's not about you know, us being better people, but us really putting ourselves before Jesus Christ and allowing the power of God to make us the people that God wants us to be. And today we're continuing our series on the book of Joshua. Now Joshua we know is known for uh, you know the battle of Jericho where the walls fell down, but the book of Joshua is not primarily about the achievements of Joshua, but rather it is about the faithfulness of God. In every book or in every chapter of the book of Joshua we're reminded that God is faithful to all of his promises. And last week we looked at, we saw that God's faithfulness uh, inspires bold obedience, that we don't need to be timid about doing the will of God. Even though the will of God may require risk or sacrifice, we don't need to be afraid. Why? Because God always does what he promises that he will do. That if we make it our business to consume the word of God daily, he will make it his business to bring success wherever he calls us. For the, for, the, uh, for the ministry of God. Now today we're gonna be looking at chapter two and it's kind of like a, an interlude or a, a break in the movement of, of kind of the action regarding the faithfulness of God, but yet there's a very important message uh, in this uh, particular chapter. Now I remember when I was a young adult, uh, back in, uh, in Oakland, we had at church, we had actually a Halloween party and we had to dress up like our favorite Bible characters and we had to share why we chose that Bible character. So people dressed up as Moses, David, Abraham. I chose to be kind of creative or lazy. All I did was I took the car chains from my car and just put it on my shoulders. And I said, well, I'm Legion. And uh, so I represent the power of God to radically change lives. And then my friend Brad says, hey, aren't you supposed to be naked? You know, and I said, no, no. <laughs> my friend Russell, he came and he tied a small ribbon. He had this ribbon hanging from his neck. And we're like, what the heck is that? And he said, well, I'm Rahab's window. <laughs> and I represent God's mercy and love for the foreigner. <laughs> so I thought, oh yeah, that's even more creative. But actually, anyways, Joshua chapter two is about the story of Rahab. And it's actually a very uh, intentional pause in the narrative of Joshua, which describes the faithfulness of God and the peculiar wisdom of God. Now, peculiar wisdom refers to the idea that God may not always do the things in the way that we expect him to do it, but he always accomplishes his plan. And so we'll see that in Joshua chapter 2. So I'd like you to turn with me in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. And shall we stand together in reverence for the word of God? So reading from Joshua 2, verse 1. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. 
And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. And the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken, but the, woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And, he said, and she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed in the dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them within the stalks of flax that she had laid in in order on the roof. And so the men pursued them on the way to Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Now before the men lay down, she came to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon all of us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. Verse 11, and as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God of the heavens above and of the earth beneath. Verse 12, now then, Please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. When the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Verse 18. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord on the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather to your house your father and your mother and your brothers and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood will be on our head. In verse 21, and she said, according to your words, so be it. And then she sent them away, and they departed, and she tied a scarlet cord on the window. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. So from this passage, we're going to learn that the faithfulness of God is according to God's wisdom and not ours. Now this, this is actually what this means, is that God works according to his ways, and his ways are often peculiar. They're not what we would, uh, we would expect, you know, like what we would do. And this is actually important because, you know, a lot of times we're tempted to evaluate God's faithfulness based on what we think he should do, Right? We say, well, we pray for these things should hap- to happen. We think God should do these things. And when things don't go according to our plans, you know, we start to question God and say, is God faithful? Is God um, worthy of my trust? When he doesn't do the things the way that I want them to be done, you know, do, should I still trust God? See, now the thing is, is God is only disappointing if we always expect him to follow our will and our desires. See, that's the issue here. See, if we do our best to seek God's will, if we look for the things that God is doing around us, if we seek the things that God wants to do, if we let loose of our own limited understanding and we look to God's will, we'll see that God is faithful. He is worthy of our trust in everything. And so in Joshua, we see that here the Israelites are camped across the Jordan River. And you can see them because they're a huge, you know, they're a mass of people right now, a million people. 
And so the, the, the people that are living in the promised land are looking at the Israelites camp there and they're expecting the, this, this group of people just come and migrate into the land. And, and, and so you get this sense that God's action is starting to move just like chapter one was starting. But in chapter two, there's kind of this interlude where the focus is not on Joshua. The focus is not on the Israelites. The focus is actually on a woman living inside the city of Jericho. Now, the city of Jericho is a very strategic city. Here's a picture, actually, of they excavated uh, what they believe is the city of Jericho. And it stands in really the center. If you look at this, it's right in the center of the promised land. You have the north and then the south. And so what happens is the Israelites are going to come through. They need to take Jericho, which is kind of the... the um, the center point of the whole country, and they need to take that so that they can go and be able to take the rest of the land. And um, so Joshua sends, he wants to get, you know, kind of information about the fortress, its gates, its fortified towers, military force, force and all that. So he sends two spies uh, on a carefully concealed mission. And in fact, it sounds so, it's kind of so clandestine that even the spies, their names are not mentioned in this chapter. It just says he sends two spies. Now, God's mission, however, for the spies was not military. It was actually spiritual in nature, which we're going to see um, that God, he gives the city into the hands of Israel. Um, but first, he sovereignly sends the two spies into the house of a, of a prostitute. Now, this woman, Rahab, she will have the honor of becoming the first recipient of the mercy of God and the grace of God in this new country. In fact, her name will be mentioned next to people like Abraham, Moses, Gideon, David, in, in, in the scriptures, in the hall of fame in the scriptures written in Hebrews, her name is going to be found next to the names of all of these people. And so as we think about the idea of the peculiar plans of God, the first thing we see is that God sometimes messes up our plans in order to extend his mercy to other people. Now, if you think about this, the normal role of spies involves stealth, right, and blending in. But almost immediately in verse 2, we see that these spies are not very good at being spies. Because in verse 2, right when Joshua sends them, it says, And then the king, it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, the men of Israel have come here tonight to search out our land. The king of Jericho went to Rahab's, or sent people to the Rahab's house, and said, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out the land. So basically, these are not very good spies. Because right in the next verse, the king knows exactly about their presence. He knows exactly what they're supposed to, they're trying to do. And he knows exactly where they're hiding out. So they don't even get a chance to spy out the land. And the enemy already got them. And their only hope now, the doors are locked tight. They can't get out. Their only hope lies in the hands of a disreputable woman whose chosen profession is not normally considered honorable or righteous. And even if she was honorable, she would basically, particularly in this culture, would have no power whatsoever to oppose the king of Jericho herself. Even if she were to help the spies, what could she do? But you look at verse four, you look at this and say, hey, God's plans 
man, they're messed up from the start. Everything that was supposed to happen, Joshua's simple plan is turning into disaster. And the spies are now in the worst possible situation that they could ever imagine. But look at verse 4. It says, but the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said to the, to the, uh, the soldiers, true, the men came to me, but I did not know where they came from. And the gate was about to be closed in the dark. And the men went out, and I do not know where they went. Pursue them quickly, for, they will over, for you can overtake them. And she, but she brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax and laid on, or laid the, that she had laid an order on the roof. And the men, they went out. Uh, to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers have gone out. So if you look at this, um, there are certain details here about Rahab that are actually very interesting. First of all, Rahab risks her life, right? She's risking her life. If, if, if they actually search her house and find the spies, she will get killed. There's no question. She'll be executed for hiding the spies. So she's risking her life. Secondly, she's actually pretty smart because um, she says, instead of saying, no, they're not here, she says, oh, yeah, they were here, but they just left. And in fact, if you run right now, you could catch them. So they don't bother to search her house, right? They, they, they run off right away, even outside the gates, to go and catch them. So she's actually really smart. And the most surprising thing about Rahab is not only is she brave and is she smart, she fears the Lord. Verse 9, it says, she says to the, to the spies afterwards, she says, I know the Lord has given the land, given you the land, and that the fear of you has fallen on all of us, and the inhabitants of the land melt away, for we have heard, and this is the reason why she is siding with them instead of the king, for we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and we know that the Lord your God, he is the God of heavens above and the earth below. And she actually says to them, please swear to me that you will deal kindly and that you'll take care of my father's house. Now, we see here that even though Joshua's plans failed fantastically, I mean, they failed on every level, Joshua's plan failed. But God's plan actually worked miraculously, right? And, and you know, we say to Joshua, man, I feel you because how many times have we felt like, I got everything figured out. I mean, I know exactly what to do. I know exactly what I'm going to do. We got all our plans. And then God comes in and says, nope, got something else for you. How many times have we like, thought we had everything set? Everything is safe. We're not going to lose anything. Everything's just going to work. And it just explodes in our face. And we go, my goodness, I had no idea this could happen. How could this have happened to me? Now I'm in trouble. What's going to happen? And God says, my plan's going to happen. You just wait and see how wonderful and beautiful it's going to be after your plans are destroyed and my plans come in. God comes in and he always says, hey, this is, this is my plan. And God, his plan is always a peculiar plan because you know you look at this even in Joshua and it says hey the two spies their their role was to actually go out through the city and get all the important information right they didn't get to do that but God brought them to one house one person and they got all the information they needed uh, second 
They look like they're in the worst possible place with the worst possible person to help them. And it ends up they're in the best possible place with the best possible person in the whole city. They happen to come to her house. That Rahab is the only God-fearing person in the whole city. And God brought them to her house. And she's brave, resourceful, smart. And her house (laughs) just happens to be on the wall which is probably not like a great place to have your house. You know, it's probably not the best place to have your house. But it just happened that that's where her house was so that she could let them out because the doors were completely locked. There's no way she could get them through the guards, but her house just happens to be not in the middle of the city, not in the west. It's right right on the wall. She can get them out just like that. And then finally we see that God's plan was never about military advantage anyways. God's plan was about salvation. God's plan was about bringing salvation to one person and one family who would exercise faith in an entire city and bring salvation to them. God is so merciful. He will do whatever needs to be done to save even just one person. That's, that's the plan of God. That's the faithfulness of God, to save one person in an entire city doomed for destruction. And you say, well, God, how are you going to get that person? How are you going to find that person? How are you going to get that person out? And, and is it really that important to get that one person out? And God says, yes, it is. In fact, I'm going to totally blow up your plans just to save this one person. I'm going to lead you directly to her. And in fact, you're going to be at her mercy and you're going to show her the salvation of God. And we say, whoa, God's plans are so peculiar. God can take the ruined plans, our ruined plans, and make something beautiful. That if we had a choice to say, do I want my plans or do I want God's plans? We would say, whoa, whoa. No choice. I want God's plans because he can take something that's utterly hopeless. He can take the worst possible situation that you might be experiencing right now. You may be saying, right now is the craziest time in my life. Um, It's the worst place that I could ever be. It's like everything is against me and there's nothing going right and I see no future and I see nothing could happen. It could be marriage. It could be work. It could be parents. It could be children. It could be anything. But God says, but you are exactly where I want you to be. And yeah, I'll blow up your plans because I want you to follow mine. See, we may say, well, I wanted this with my life. I wanted to do this with my life. I wanted to be with this person. And then later on we say, oh, thank God. It didn't work out that way. In the past, we may say, well, I wish my kids were like this. You know, I had my dream for my kids. I, I, I wish that they would do everything that I say and, and be exactly like I want them to do. And then we look back and go, boy, thank God they didn't turn out exactly like I wanted them to be. But they turned out to be better. Something that you wanted them to be, God. Something so much better than me. We may say, well, God, you know, I wish that God would just do this for my life. Would we'll, we'll just give me this thing. If I, God just gave me this one thing, my life would be perfect. If, if, if God just did this one thing for me, my life would be perfect. And that's all I want, God. And we look back at it and we say, thank God. 
that he didn't give that to me. Dodge a bullet there. Thank God that he didn't do the things that I wanted him to do. Because God's plans, God's plans are always better. They're peculiar. They're sometimes really off the wall, or sometimes we can't understand them, but they're, they're better than we can ever imagine. And that's the first thing we see. That's the first wonder, wonderful aspect of the faithfulness of God's, that God's plans are better than our plans. And man, even if it's just for the salvation of one person, I'd rather God mess up all my plans just to save one person. That's okay. That's okay with us. So today we look at this and we say, hey, you know, again, God only seems disappointing when we expect him to follow our will and desires for our career, for our relationships, for our goals, for our dreams. And here right now, as, as you think about this, and particularly graduates as well, as you think about this and say, my, now I'm here sitting with all my dreams of what I want to do with my life. Finally, I get a chance to do what I want with my life. My parents aren't going to be there to tell me to do this and that. And I, I can do what I want now. And I'm going to fulfill my dream. And it's going to be great. It's going to be fantastic. And you may get out there and you may find out it's not that fantastic. It's hard. Things aren't working out the way they're supposed to. People aren't treating me the way it's supposed to. I'm not getting the friends I'm supposed to. The grades aren't. My, my life is not going the way it's supposed to go. And we say, God, what's going on? But, you know, we... we, we we need to surrender our lives to God and say, God, these are things I want, but you know, God, I want your plan for my life. And if you blow up my plans, you know, it's okay. Because I trust and believe that you'll bring something better and, and more wonderful. If you blow up my relationship, I mean, maybe we're in a relationship right now and things didn't work out and it got messed up and you're like, oh my gosh, you know, this is the one thing that I'm living for. And then we say, well, no, but God, you know, you bring something better. See, the thing is, is that if God messes up our life, if, if we're in these places where, you know, maybe our, our boss is not treating us well or work is not going well or I thought I was going to move to a place that was really going to move up and now I'm just stuck and it's really hard. You know, sometimes you are where you, I mean, we really believe, hey, you are where you are. We are where we are because God wants to use us not, to, not for our fame and not for our plans but for the salvation of someone near you. That's probably why you're there. For, 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 for someone maybe you haven't even met yet. That's why we're there. So we look at this and we say, well, uh, God's peculiar wisdom. First of all, God's plan versus our plan. The second thing, which is really an ongoing theme in the scriptures, is that God highlights the humble. God always chooses the most unlikely people from a human standpoint to stand out as the greatest in the kingdom of God. You got Abraham and Sarah, you know, when we look at them, we say, well, the father of faith. But when God first called them, they were like a couple in their 90s who, who God just said, go somewhere where I'll show you. And they're like, okay, you know. Moses, he's a murderer when God called him. David, smallest of his brothers. They didn't, father didn't even bother to bring him out because he just figured out ah, they're not going to choose him for a king. So I'll just bring out all the other brothers. Rahab, prostitute. She's going to be a hero of the faith. 
we already see that she's a woman of courage. She's a woman of honor. She's a woman of resourcefulness. And now in verse 12, uh, we see here, she says, now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, that you also will deal kindly with my father's house. Give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. She's already, you know, preaching the gospel. She's not even a Christian yet. She's always saying, I want to save my parents, save my mom, save my dad, save my sister, save my brothers, and not just them, but all their family. And she asked them, says, now this really is kind of, a, if you really think about this, this is a very strange request because she is someone who's hidden securely in a fortress. So the thing is, is that Rahab's words express faith and belief that she believes that victory belongs to God. Even though God hasn't brought the victory yet, the people are still on the other side of the, of the, uh, of the river, of the Jordan, and, but yet she believes that God is going to, even before the attack is going to come, God's going to have victory, going to take over the whole city, and the only chance that she has right now for salvation is to plead for God's mercy. She doesn't depend on anything else. She doesn't depend on the king of Jericho to protect her. She doesn't pretend, trust in anything else. She, she really throws herself at the mercy of God, and she says something to the spies that is very significant. She says, please deal kindly with my father's house. Now, the word deal kindly here is a, a supercharged theological word. It means, it's the word hesed, and she doesn't realize it, but the word hesed actually refers to God's faithful covenant love. It refers to a love that is undeserved and unearned, a love that is based solely on the promise of God and the mercy of God. That's hesed. And so we see that not only is Rahab an honorable person, but she is a humble person. That she has reverence for the power of God. She's saying, the only way I'm going to be saved is because of the power of God. But she also has great confidence in God's mercy. If I plead for God's mercy, he will give it to me. And this is, this is humility. Humility is not going around saying, I'm terrible, I'm a dead dog, spit on me, I'm useless, I should die. That's not, that's not humility. Humility is about reverence for the power of God. That we really believe that we are the mercy of God. And it is about confidence in God's mercy. It is about a sense that, that yeah, I'm precious in God's sight. God loves me so much. And I'm confident of that too. No matter what people say, no matter what other things are going on, no matter what I look like or anything else, I'm confident that God thinks of me like he thinks of Rahab. If he thinks of Rahab as equal to someone like Abraham and Moses, that's how he thinks of, of her and what she can do for him and what she will do for him. Just think about what that means for us. That if we humble ourselves before the Lord, we stop overestimating our own importance. We, 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 we can speak confidently. We can do things confidently. We can believe that God will always be merciful. My professor, when I was in seminary, and I tell the story every once in a while because it's so significant to me. When I went to seminary, I was like really excited. All of us were really excited. We said, we're going to change the world, especially like I was going to be a missionary. I'm going to change the world. And my professor, this is in history, my history professor of all things, I thought, oh, history. 
you know. But I went to history, so that's part of, you know, learning. My history professor, he's one of, he said one of the things that's just most significant to me. He said, okay, I know you guys are all excited, but let me tell you a story. He says, ah, this story of this missionary, this is a true story. And he was really excited about going overseas, and he was preparing his life to go overseas to share uh, the gospel with this, this uh, unreached tribe. And he had put these tracks together with pictures and things to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and he spent many years getting ready to go, and finally he got to go, and he, he took the river, took the boat up the river, stepped on the land, ready to share the gospel, and they killed him and threw his body in the river. And uh, all of us are looking at that going like, okay, what kind of story is that? I mean, you know, it doesn't sound very dis encouraging to us. And he goes, yeah, but he says, but a year later, missionaries went down the river again. And they found farther on down the river, there were people who were gathering together, worshiping the name of Jesus, or worshiping Jesus. And they were like, how did this happen? And what happened was, is his body and the missionary's body and all his work had flowed down the river, and the tribes down the river who were more open to the gospel had seen all these things, and they started taking it out of the river, and they were looking at these pictures, and they were figuring out that, 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 that God was, that Jesus was God, and they were worshiping. And so, so uh, my professor goes, see, so even if you graduate from here, and the first thing you do is die, God could still use you. He says, it's not about you. He says, I want you, everyone here, do not seek to be great for the kingdom of God. And we're like, you know, because we're, we're like first year seminary students. Of course, we want to change. We want to be great for God. We're like, that's why I'm here. That's why we're spending, that's why we came all the way over here. We want to be great for God. He says, no, no, no. Don't seek to be great for God. Just seek to be used by God. And that's enough. And that was always really a very powerful statement to me because um, whenever I'm tempted to try to think that I need to get credit or recognition or, 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 or to receive the things that, that I think I deserve, I, I remind, I'm reminded of this story. I'm reminded that, that um, it's not about us and it's not about doing great things for God and it's not about whatever. If God so chooses for our life to last only a couple of years, but yet make an impact for the gospel of Jesus Christ, then that's great in the kingdom of God. Oh, Rahab, we don't hear from her anymore. Just this one deed. And yet she's in the hall of fame, of faith. See, so when it comes to, to God's particular wisdom, we've seen that, um, again, it's, it's God's plans versus our plans. It's God highlights the humble. Third thing we want to see about God's faithfulness is that God is a God who keeps his promises. And that's really the theme of the whole book of Joshua. And really the entirety of, of, of the Old Testament, Deuteronomy says, know therefore that the Lord your God is a God, he's a faithful God who keeps his covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. And he keeps them to a thousand generations. That's the faithfulness of God. Now we look at the faithfulness of God here. How did he keep his promises? Well, first of all, he kept his promises to Rahab. Rahab requested the spies deal kindly with her and they promised that they will. And um, in verse 18, we see that she puts, us, she puts that, that uh, scarlet cord in the window and she is saved. God saved her. Now we see this is really interesting because it ties together with Passover, right? 
Passover says, well, she didn't have the blood of a lamb, but she had a red cord. And it's, it harkens back to just the previous generation where God said, if you put the blood over the blood of the lamb, the sacrificial blood of the lamb over your household, then the, the, the judgment of God will pass over your house and you all be saved as long as you stay under the blood of Jesus Christ. And this goes to, again, uh, Jesus Christ himself, that he is that door. He is the only way um, to God. And, and so we look at this, God not only fulfills his promise to Rahab, he has uh, fulfilled his promise to, um, to the people of Israel and to us, that he will always extend his mercy and his grace if we do the things that he calls us to do that are required for salvation. And it's not about keeping up, doing a lot of stuff, or it's not about making sure we're good enough for God. God just says, I have provided a way of salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ. And if you take that way, if, you, if we confess our sin, humble ourselves before the Lord, if we uh, believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the dead, and know that that's the only way to salvation, and we don't trust in anything else, God says that, that he will give us this salvation as a gift and it will never be taken away from us. This is the promise that God gave even way back in the time of, of Rahab. And he gives it to each one of us today. If you're here today and you've not put your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior, if you're sitting here thinking, well, I come to church and this is good and I, I'm hoping that I'm doing enough stuff or I'm hoping that I'm a good enough person or I'm hoping I'm in a place where there's enough bad people so that I look really good and that's gonna get me to heaven, um, God says, no, that's not the way to heaven. The way to heaven is to put that, in a sense, put that red cord out there. Follow the one instruction that God says, and that is to put our faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. And in that, you will receive salvation. And so we look at this and we say, God uh, fulfilled his promise to Rahab. He fulfilled his promise to the Israelites. We look at verse 22, and he says, when they departed, they went in the hills, the spies went in the hills, and the pursuers searched them, found nothing. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills. They passed over. They came to Joshua, and they told him all that had happened. And they said to Joshua, truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands, and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. And this is really interesting because basically it says, truly, this is, this is their report. They said, after we did all this stuff, and we, you know, we did, you know, we, we, we fought off the king, and we did all these crazy stuff, and we hid and we survived and we lived off land and we finally came back. This is what we got. This is what we got. Truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands. And we look at this and say, that's exactly what God just said in chapter one. So they really didn't need this spy thing at all, right? Because God already told them from the very beginning, I'm giving you this land. So they go out and spy and God says again, I'm giving you this land. You could spy out all you want. You could do all the things you want. You can try all the safeguards that you want and it will always come back to the same thing. When I promise something, I, I, I come through every time. I'm gonna give you this land. Don't worry. My, even though you know, your plans seem to get blown apart, these detours and disasters, they don't affect my plan at all. See, God sometimes, he reroutes our plans when it's necessary for the salvation of others. And it, it's the sense that, 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 that God 
God's plan is always for the salvation of others. That's where he's leading us. That's why we're where we are. That's why we have the struggles we have. That's why we have the disappointments or the, the difficulties that we have because God is leading us. He's saying, I'm changing your plans around. This is necessary. He's not doing it because, you know, it's like, because I just like it. Yeah, this is necessary for the salvation of others, whether it's building us up so that we can be that, that, uh, that great conduit of the grace of Christ, or whether we're just being put in those places where God's going to save somebody. God's saying, yeah, you know, just follow me. I'll derail your plans, but I'm always going to bring you to that place where others are saved. Verse 10, uh, Rahab says, again, this is verse 10. Uh, Rahab says, for the Lord your God, he is the God in the heavens above and the earth beneath. This is like, she's saying, this is the gossip around town, around Jericho. You haven't even come to the city, inside the city yet, and this is the gossip that's going around. Your God is the God of heaven and the God of earth. And I look at this and say, wow, I wish that that was the gossip <laughs> of living hope or the gossip of, about our lives. To say wherever we go, oh, I heard about that guy. I heard about him in the other company. You know what? I heard that his God is the God of the universe and the God of this, the God of this earth. You go to the school and they say, oh, yeah, I heard about that. I heard about that person, you know, in that high school. They were all talking about her. Do you know what? You know what they said? They said, her God is the true God of the universe. And we need to fear that God. And we need to think seriously about who that God is. Wouldn't that be wonderful if everywhere we went, in the neighborhood, oh, new neighbors moving in the neighborhood, you know what I heard about them? Their God is the God of the universe. We need to think about that. Whatever happens, wouldn't that be something? See, the thing is, is again, see, if we continue to just stubbornly hang on to our own plans. Sorry, just one slide back. Can you put it one slide back? If we continue to hang on to our own plans, if we are gonna to continue to demand that God always fulfills my dreams and my agenda and do things my way, then your life will be filled with disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. No matter how careful, how capable you are, how driven you are, how determined you are, we are not God. And we will never be. And we must surrender our will and our plans and our pride before God right now that he may do his will and his plan, no matter how peculiar it may be, so that God might bring about the greatest glory to his son, Jesus Christ, and save the most amount of people who are dying today without, without the Lord. Your parents here, and again, I, I, I'm ragging on, talking about parents and talking about youth because, again, it's graduation time, and I talk to parents because, you know, as a parent, and I think about my kids when sending them off to college, and I remember saying, when, when we had our kids, you know, Rita and I would say, oh, we're not going to be like those parents, you know, we're, we're Western parents, we're not going to have those expectations, you know, if, if our kid gets an A-, minus, we'll say, good job, you know, or whatever. Um, we're not going to be, you know, that particular about the grades, you know, as long as they do their best. And we say, yeah, we're not going to do this, we're not going to force them to play piano, even though they all play piano. Uh, we're not going to do, you know, we're not going to do those, those things, you know, 
But as parents, as much as we say we're not going to have expectations, we do. I mean, we, we, we can't help it. Especially when our, when our kids fail to meet our expectations, then we realize, oh, I did have expectations. Oh, yeah, I, I did feel like my kids didn't do the things that I wanted them to do. No matter how godly I want to be and how hip I want to be and how cool I want to be for my kids so that they, you know, we have expectations. They're our kids. We love them so much. And I know each one here, we have expectations. We care about our kids. And really, it's not like, well, maybe for some, it's like, well, it's not like we want them to get straight A's so that everybody thinks they're wonderful and I'm a great parent. We want them, we want God to, to bless them. And, and, and we think that perhaps it's because if they get really good grades in school, God will bless them. If they avoid a lot of problems uh, as they're growing up and, and, and don't hang out with the bad kids, God will bless them. Um, if they do all the things that I did when I was a kid and try to really follow this thing and, and find that right person to marry and all these things, uh, then God will bless them. But then, you know, even for myself, I, I think about it and I say, well, God never really... Um, he has peculiar plans. I, I, I can't think of anybody whose parents who said, I had exactly what I planned for my kids and they followed it exactly and look, God bless them. I mean, every parent, you talk to them and they'll say, uh, you can talk to parents, if you're a younger parent right now with kids who are still in school and saying, I'm so scared about my kids getting into college and all this stuff. And you talk to a parent whose kids are through and they'll say, you know what? It really wasn't that big of a deal. It really wasn't, like, that had nothing to do with whether or not I'm proud of my kids or, or whether or not God did a good thing in the, kid, in, my life, in the life of my kids. It had nothing to do with whether they hung around with the right friends or whether they uh, got straight A's or whether they did all the things that I told them to do or whether they did their chores and all that kind of stuff. I'm not saying that those things are bad. They're good things. They're good things to learn and they're things that we as parents must continue to instill in our kids. But kids are not going to follow every single thing and even if they do follow every single thing they're not going to come out like they're not going to go and do all the things that we as parents expect them to do and be and you may be here and and say well my parent my, my, my kids are are not doing the things I want them to do but they're walking with the Lord and God's going to use them we say well praise God that's that's the most important thing don't really care about anything else they're walking with the Lord Jesus Christ. God will use them. And you may be here and you may say, well, my, my kids are not walking with the Lord right now. I try to do everything right and they're not walking with the Lord right now. And they're still making some bad choices. And I'd say just keep praying. Because the kid's life is not over. And God's plan is very peculiar. He brings our kids through stuff that we would never, we would never bring our kids through but that's because we don't have the wisdom of God. And, and, and God wants our kids to be better than what we imagine or dream for them. Our dream is just get good grades, get a good job, find a nice girl or a nice guy, get married, have a good life, don't have any worries or struggles, and then die. I mean, that's kind of like our plan, right? It's like, if you do that, I'm happy. God says that, that. God says, I don't want that for your kids. That's, that's like nothing compared to what I want. God says, let me do what I want for your child to make them a powerhouse for Jesus Christ. Even if it's within their last days, 
even if it's within their last days, to make them a powerhouse for Jesus Christ. Even if it means bringing them through decades of struggle and suffering and bad choices so that they get to that place where Rahab is and says, you gotta make a choice whether you're gonna choose what is honorable, what is right, what is brave and courageous, and what is for the glory of God, not for yourself. And that only comes from God. As much as we as parents want to do that for our children, that must come um, from God through his plans and through his children. So pray, pray for your children. And I know that there are parents here, and I know that we know parents that are grieving, grieving over their children. But you have hope. Pray, believe God's plan is not finished yet. For Rita and myself, we, we see this so true in our children's lives. And we've seen this so true in many, many other people as well. I, had a professor, I have a professor in my doctoral ministry class and he had a son who just was just going on his way to hell. Never accepted Jesus Christ, never wanted anything to do with God. Grown son, successful, kids, family, and nothing's gonna get him to come to church. Nothing's gonna get him think, thinking about God. Son was driving down the street one day and God appeared to him and he stopped his car immediately, got out of his car, went on the floor and just wept and gave his life to Jesus Christ. And he said, Dad, I don't know what happened. I was just driving down the street and God just got a hold of my life and said, if I keep going the way I'm going, I'm gonna destroy my life and everything that's important to me. And he gave his life to Jesus Christ that moment God appeared to him and saved him. So I, when I hear stories like this, God can do anything. You never give up. You always pray. Don't rag on your children and say, why aren't you the way that you're supposed to be? You pray for them and love them, encourage them, let them know God loves them so deeply. You correct them when they need correction. But you pray for your children and, and believe that, that, that they are going to, they're going to do wonderful things. God's gonna do it in their life. And for you children, <laughs> not to say put the pressure on you because you're not, again, going to be the ones who make yourself godly, it's God. And when your life doesn't work out and when things don't seem to be the way that they want to be or when you look at things and say, this is not really what I want, it's probably because your parents are praying for you because they want you to, to love the Lord more than anything else and they know that that's the only thing that's important in this world. And even if your parents don't understand, you know, my parents are not Christian and they don't understand. Gee, how come you're not getting your good grades and becoming that great architect? How come you're doing this instead? They'll never understand. But if we honor the Lord, um, God will honor, God will honor us. God will bring that, uh, that joy and God may change your parents' life through that. So don't be angry or resentful or hateful of your parents who, who do these things and say, they don't understand. What's wrong with them? 
they're just pushing you to do this and this and they're, 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 they're so hard and they don't understand. But you just follow God. You love God. You, you give God the honor. And, and God will honor you. And you may have to go through so much struggle right now as a youth trying to figure this out and just saying, I wish my parents could help me and they're not helping me or whatever. I wish they could help me in this way and they're not helping me. But you, you're coming to, God is bringing you to a point where someday your faith is gonna be your own. It's gonna be your own and you will have no excuse about parents or anything else in regards to what you do with God and the choices you make about God and what God does in your life. And that's really what God is preparing you for right now. So love your parents, honor your parents. Don't expect them to be everything that you think that they should be, even as Christians. You love the Lord your God. You walk with God. You honor your parents day by day, and God will honor you. He will honor you. I, I can speak to both sides here. This is a really hard thing, and, and, and it's something that you know, I, I keep hearing here and there every once in a while as I, I listen and talk to people that we as a church, we need to, and, and as families, we need to really um, seek God's will more than anything else. We need to surrender our plans. We need to have plans. God doesn't say don't have any plans. We need to have plans. But we need to surrender them to God. And if God wants to change them for the salvation of others, for the salvation of our own kids, then God change them. God change them right away. For the Lord your God, he's the God in heaven above, and he is the God of the earth beneath. He's the, he is your God, he is your children's God, he is your parents' God. Uh, he's the God of this whole world, and he will do his will. Let's go ahead and let's spend some time in quietness before the Lord. Let's pray. And maybe you're here today, and yeah, it's a pretty tough situation. You can think of someone in your life right now, or something going on in your life right now, where it's just not what you thought it was going to be. It really wasn't. And you're just struggling or hurting. Just bring that to the Lord right now. Trust and believe that, God, this is, somehow I believe, God, this is your plan. And I'm just going to keep praying and praying that you do your will, no matter what the cost no matter what it means for me or for those that I love. Well, this is really bringing